subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. He's got a few miles left, knock on wood. He's a three-legged dog, but he's still getting Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripods Blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is November 26, 2018. This is a first of a two-part series with our guest, who is calling in from the furthest point of any interview we have ever produced here at Tripods. Dr. Elaine kasanovich kahalain is the first board-certified specialist in small animal surgery to practice in Hong Kong at Veterinary Specialist Hospital of Hong Kong. She specializes in orthopedic, neurologic, cancer treatment, and soft tissue surgeries in companion animals. Prior to practicing in Hong Kong, Dr. Kahalane spent several years in a busy specialty referral practice in the United States. She has witnessed some rather interesting details about pet parenting in Hong Kong, which differ a bit from the way those of us in the West view and treat our dogs and cats. We'll discover what we can learn from the relationships her clients have with their pets. And don't miss part two of our discussion, where we will learn about the Not One More Vet campaign and why that is so important to all pet parents and anyone working in the veterinary industry. We clearly have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Kahalain. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Hi, Dr. Kahalain. This is Renee, and I am thrilled that, that we're talking to you. After I saw your Instagram post, I was like, wow, we have to have her on Tripod Talk. So thank you. I'm very happy to, to join you, and, and thanks for checking me out on Instagram. I follow you guys, too, and I'm always happy to see the things that you're posting as well. Oh, thank you. And just for our listeners, um, what is your Instagram handle so they can follow along with you? It's dog cat surgeon, all one word, and the, the surgeon at the end is just surge N with an N. Uh, I think the other one was taken at the time. So dog cat surgeon is generally how to find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, all the rest of that kind of stuff is an easy thing to remember. It is. It is. And we'll, we'll be sure to put that link in our uh, podcast episode blog post. So, uh, so you're all the way in Hong Kong, and, and this is really exciting for us because at Tripods, um, we're trying to get out of our, our North American bubble and really explore how the veterinary community is in other parts of the world. So recently we had a, a vet who was from New Zealand, and now you're our next international vet, but you're really you're from the States. You're just practicing there, correct? That's correct. I am um, American. I grew up in Canada, so I've I uh, and now I'm have lived in Hong Kong just about longer than I've lived anywhere else at, at one good stretch of time. So I'm from a bit of everywhere. Wow, that's exciting. You are truly international. So what what drew you to Hong Kong other other than the wonderful title of being the first uh, board certified uh, 
specialist there in surgery. Um, what, what about Hong Kong made you want to go practice? You know, it's funny. Um, at the time when I first moved here, Asia wasn't really on my radar. I had traveled a good bit to Europe and Africa, and I, I did like to travel a lot. I had two very young kids. My daughter was two years old. My son was 12 weeks old when we moved here. Um, my husband had a lot of flexibility in his career. So um, it wasn't really Hong Kong that drew me so much as this uh, opportunity as a specialist to start something and or to be part of the start of something, not to start it myself, but to be part mm-hmm. of the advancement of our profession in a certain part of the world. So, so I came here to be a specialist, to train other people to become specialists or to become better surgeons, and then everything's just sort of taken off from there. That wow, that is really really cool that you would you would take that leap and with your young children and everything and and here you are and you're you're in the middle of of this this movement to improve veterinary care in Hong Kong. Um, how do the um, how does the community view your your specialty? Um, are the general practitioner vets over there, are they willing to, to give referrals? Is it easy to get clients, or do you really have to work to, to get the word out that your practice exists? Well, I think, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I imagine what New York must have been like before the AMC showed up and, and, or before specialists showed up even. And the veterinarians in Hong Kong here are, are, are spectacular. I mean, they didn't, they, they've learned to, they're, they're well-trained and they've learned to do so much, um, on their own that they're sort of, they do everything, you know, they do everything from ultrasound to nail trim to advanced surgery. And, wow. and so as specialists, we're very focused. And I think that's just the big difference. So this, the population here um, of veterinarians, the market was really great. And there's tons of pets and a lot of great vets, but the specialist aspect just kind of elevates the game a bit and it it takes the profession up a notch for those things that the general practitioners aren't comfortable with or or maybe haven't seen before. Now we have a whole team of specialists in Hong Kong that can help them with that. So they've really um, sort of caught on to what referral means, that we're not competing Mm -hmm. for the same cases. We're here to complement each other and to provide the best care that we can for each pet. Mm -hmm. And and how about uh, the pet parents? In, in your city, um, how, well, first, let, let's back up a little bit. How do they view the role of their pets in the household? Because I think that determines, like, how willing they are to go the extra mile to see a specialist. So what is yeah. your um, understanding of how they, they have their pets? It's, it's really incredible. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we had a dog, and the dog was just kind of our family dog. You know, it, it was different than my sister and I. It wasn't one of our one of the family children. Um, and then I think things have evolved in North America that pets are viewed a little more as family members now. And in Hong Kong, it's like that dog in the yard phase never really existed. And and so they there are a lot of first time pet owners, but instead of that dog being oh it's just the family dog, that's their family that's their child so they've skipped over that whole sort of era of pet ownership and they've sort of dived right into pet parenting and um, it's it's an amazing difference to see because they'll they won't necessarily 
have the experience of saying, okay, I know I need to have a family vet that takes care of my pet through its whole entire life. And they may not have those basics down, but all they know is that they want the absolute best that they can find for their family member, which happens to have four or three legs. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's really cool because I, I grew up the same way. You know, the dog was the dog, and he was an outside dog. He wasn't even allowed to be in the house. And, boy, you know, in my lifetime, things have changed, but we had to go through that learning phase, and, you know, our, our animals suffered because of it. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, that the dogs and cats and other pets there are having such great uh, care during their lifetimes. It's, um, it's really incredible, and it's almost unexpected in a way because um, I think yeah. people think about Asia and they're unsure about how pets are really kept here. But no, they've uh, most pet owners have complete, completely bypassed the, the dog in the yard, and now they're in, in booties and in prams and, and being pushed around in strollers and stuff. So it's oh. pretty incredible to be part of. And, and just I'm just curious, but are, is there a common size of of dog that you see there are they do they go with all breeds or are they more partial to smaller ones or certainly more partial to smaller dogs i think um there's a lot of a lot of people in a very small space here in hong kong and so to have a big dog you need to have more room and a lot of people have um smaller pets poodles are very popular here um toy poodles <laughs> schnauzers and pekingese the little kind of pugs you know little that size that sort of size is most popular but i see everything from kittens to to bernie's mountain dogs here Aw. Now, now, when it comes to special needs and, and handicapped pets, what are, their, uh, what are their feelings about that? I mean, I don't know. Do you do amputations there? Do you, do you deal with those situations a lot? I, I do. Um, now, again, I think that it's general practitioners here who um, a lot of them will do amputations if that's what is indicated and what needs to be done. They're not necessarily referring to me for that. As a specialist, mm-hmm. I do tend to see the people who are more interested in limb spare, um, but mm-hmm. I am the first person to recommend um, amputation when I think it's indicated. And I think there's a, again, with a new pet parent population, there's a whole discussion or even culture that they've missed out on, which is dogs and cats have great lives when they have only three legs. And and so there's an education that needs to take place here, and it is taking place here, that it's okay to do that when it's what's best for that pet. Ah, okay. So so they really need some more uh, tripods, uh, propaganda brochures. They really do. uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Definitely be sure to send you some. We have some really great brochures with Q&A, and one of our goals is to get them translated into different languages. So oh, I would I, love I that. Would definitely, cool. yes, absolutely, yeah. definitely. Now, um, do what? What would be the um, the viewpoint, the average viewpoint of of a pet parent there when it comes to a, a handicapped pet? I mean, are they accepting when it does happen, or overall? Yeah. Um, You know, I think that what I have had clients come into me and ask about wheelchairs for their dogs when a dog just has a cruciate rupture. You know, they're they're absolutely willing to put their pets on wheels. 
And okay. and so sometimes I have to step back and say, okay, we don't really need your, we don't need wheels. We can do some other stuff and try to make the legs work a bit better. Um, mm-hmm. So there there a lot of people are ready to put their pets in wheels or with prosthetics and things, um, but but I think that they see amputation has almost a instead of looking at it as a way to relieve pain, um, they see it as giving up. I, well, I will mm. only amputate if I have to give up. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to change when I talk to clients and say, it's really not giving up, it's treatment, and it's, it's not a bad thing to do. And, and a cart might help a pet get around, but we're, what we're trying to do most of the time with amputation is alleviate pain. And so mm-hmm. that's a big discussion that I have to have pretty frequently here when I see patients that where amputation is indicated. That, yeah, that is interesting because we get some of that here. Um, but, you know, when a veterinarian presents amputation, of course, it's the last thing anyone wants to hear. But when it comes to hearing the message that it can alleviate pain, I mean, I think, you know, more people are willing to say, okay, we'll do it. Um, so we'll try to help you out in that area for sure. That would be great. Yeah. So what about pet parenting in general? How does it differ from, from us other than, okay, the, the pets are family members, but do they go everywhere with them? Do they, are there um, pet sitters on every corner? I mean, how integrated into society are they? Do they get to eat in restaurants, that kind of thing? Lots of pets eating in restaurants. I, I really? live in a, yeah, I live in a small um, fishing village kind of thing about 30 minutes outside the city. And on the weekends, uh-huh. all you see are people with their dogs um, and the dogs are sitting at the table in outside restaurants and um, really, you know, going on walks and, and a huge um, dog culture in the little town that I live in just outside Hong Kong. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great. I think that the other way that, um, pet parenting differs here is, is in the way that they care for geriatric pets for sort of their elderly. Um, they will just go to, to no end. Um, they'll carry around oxygen tanks for their dogs in heart failure. Yeah. So it's, it's really, um, pretty amazing to see, the long-term care that people are committed to here. And, and of course, it's like that in the States, too. I know that there are um, lots of people who go to every end to care for their geriatric pet, but it is really um, astonishing here what levels people will go to. Yeah, you know, especially when it comes to end of life, it's, it's uh, interesting that you mention that because one of the few members that we've had from Asia, when her dog passed away from cancer, uh, she had... Uh, what I would call a wake, I guess it was a yes. service. Yeah, is that a common thing there? It is. It is, and they um, a lot of people like to be present for cremation, which was new to me. That they want oh. to be sure that it's their pet that's being cremated and that those ashes that they're getting back. And they really do have services, and entire families will come for euthanasias when that does happen. Um, like cousin, not just not just the members of the immediate family, but neighbors and friends and aunts. And, and um, so it's really a, a big family that comes together like we would for our human family members. It's really something else. It's very special. Wow. I, I would say that um, for the most part what you're describing is a, a culture that is 
a little bit more advanced than the majority of us here in the U.S. I mean, I know that for senior animals, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's time to let them go, that kind of thing. And um, I, I just think it sounds a lot easier for a pet parent when they're wrestling with these end-of-life situations. That, that's really cool. And it leads me to my last question for this segment. Um, what would you say is the number one thing that, that we in the, the States and even our, our members in uh, the U.K. and other Western countries, what can we What's the number one thing you would say we could learn from them? I can tell you the number one thing that I've learned from them, and that is um, as long as we keep a pet's best interests in mind always, um, that it's okay to try um, even when the odds aren't that great. I guess what I mean is, Um, I used to be a very conservative surgeon, and I would be very honest with people about the odds of success if we go to surgery, the odds of a pet surviving something, and what I believed those odds to be based on science and the literature and what I knew from my training. And, And the clients here push me to try more things that, that you know, where I might have said, okay, it's time to euthanize in my, in my past life. Um, and I am more often than not amazed at the outcomes that we can achieve Mm -hmm. when people are willing to really go the distance and let you do everything that you would do, um, as if you were treating a human. And, and, but again, remembering to always keep that pet's best interest in mind, we, it's, it's important to not go, I guess, too far, but I am amazed at the successes that I've been able to have with my team on board and with pet families on board trying to trying to give us more time and more quality time with their pets. It's it's really been an amazing experience and a transformation as a surgeon. Oh, I'll bet. And in your TED Talk, which we'll discuss next, but uh, you do mention a few of those cases, and I I was just blown away by <laughs> by your your stories that, that you talked about there um, and going the extra mile and, and having a, a great success. So um, we're going to talk about that next, and, um, and I hope everybody will stay tuned. Thanks so much. I hope so, too. Yes, thank you for your time, Dr. Kyleen. This has been fascinating. Listeners can learn more about your work in Hong Kong at vsh.com.hk. And I can't wait to share with them what you're doing to raise awareness about the Not One More Vet campaign. Please please tune in to part two of this talk where we will discuss the alarming suicide rate among veterinarians and what we as pet parents can do about it. Until next time, pet parents facing amputation for their cats and dogs can find support and many free resources at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.